kind of covers up my chicken legs and all that good stuff. So I just somehow or another, I just, and I got more room up here too for my notes. That thing is really, really small as far as your notes are concerned. So we're in the latter part of John chapter 20 today. We considered the first part with the obvious emphasis on the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the woman, Mary Magdalene, who risked her life to go and be at that tomb. She also convinced two other women to go with her. It's amazing when you think about it. It was a risk. The Lord had prepared the way, didn't he? Well, the, they, as they were going, they were discussing how in the world are we going to get this stone rolled away? What in the world are we going to do, a bunch of women? But all the problems that were there didn't stop her. She was going to do what the Spirit of God had laid upon her heart, and that is to... to lay the spices on the body of the Lord Jesus Christ so that the the stench wouldn't be so bad. The Bible says she went early in the morning, very early in the morning before the sun ever came up. So she, in her own mind, was going to meet with a dead Savior and she was able to get out of bed to do it. Isn't that amazing? Hey, listen, we can go meet with a live Savior. Oh, that bed, though. Ooh, that gets in the way, doesn't it? Well, we've got a living Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he is living. I don't care what men may say. Why? Because he lives within my heart. As I walk and I breathe and I, and I move, I know there's something different here. There's, there's something that's changed here, drastically changed. And for her, it was the same. Why would she do that, though? Let's say the stone wasn't rolled away. There was a Roman guard. There was also a guard that was probably put there by the Sanhedrin, by the Pharisees. Seeing that she was full in cahoots with the Lord Jesus Christ, so they could have thrown her on a cross, along with her two friends. We know that the Lord already prepared the way. But let me ask you this question, and here's the contrast. What did she have to go back to? Seven demons. Not much rest there, was there? Seven demons. Oh, you see, when the Lord found her, she was in the depths of darkness. And in came the light. And she was never going to be the same. There was never going to be a thing about her that would be the same. What did she have to lose? Even convincing enough to convince the other two women to come with her. Now we have this contrast in the portion that we're to discuss this morning. We have this absolute unbelievable devotion of these women in light of these scared chickens, these future apostles having special authority laid on them, these apostles, and yet they were hiding away in an upper room. That seems to be the contrast. Or you can see the contrast between this woman 
And that man, Thomas, doubting Thomas. But I want to read for you the theme of John. And it still remains the theme of John. Nothing has changed. You can go John 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. Go through the whole book of John. And here it is. But these things are written that you may believe that Jesus Christ. Now what? I even underlined it. I, re, I underlined the word the. The Christ. The Son of the living God. Oh, well, you're being rather narrow-minded, aren't you? It's a bit narrow-minded to say, the Christ, the Son of the living God, as though he is the only way. Well, he said he was. Oh, it it just feels better to our natural thinking to, to sit back and say, well, you know, these good people over here, they believe in this, and, and these good people, why they believe in this, and why we'll just all gather together one day in this nice little place in the sky, and God's going to accept and forgive them all. It does sound better. It, it certainly is more politically correct. You can possibly get even caught up in that kind of thing. This ecumenical thinking. But the bottom line is, the Lord Jesus Christ said, He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man cometh unto the Father, but by Him. That's the way it lays out. Truth is truth. We can't bend it around and confuse it in order that we can somehow fit our theology into it all. Somehow we can move this. You can't. Jesus is the only way. And there is no other. And so this theme still remains. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son, of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. So we have this contrast. Verse number 19 of chapter 20. And we begin reading. Then the same day at evening. When is this? Well, it, it was Sunday morning. The first day of the week, when Mary Magdalene had convinced these other two ladies to come with her, and and there's where they found the empty tomb. So that was Sunday morning. And so this is Sunday evening, you see. This is Sunday evening. And so this whole concept of of gathering in on Sunday, this first day of the week, seems to be... uh, uh, claimed here in the Gospels and then practiced over in the Acts. Why don't we keep the Sabbath? It says in the Old Testament, keep the Sabbath, keep it holy. Holy as unto the God, unto God. All the other commandments are repeated except for that one. Let me show you something. This is the Sabbath. It's the last day of the week. And so this is what the law says. You must work six days of labor, hard work, 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 then rest. And we'll see how your work went. 
This is grace. First day. Rest. Come and take in. Like drinking in grace and mercy. Take it in. And then on that, go work. You see? So they practiced in the Acts. That they would gather on the first day of the week. Then the same day at evening, being at the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled, for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, now here's the contrast. They're up in the room. They're in fear. They bolt up the doors. Not one, two. They bolt them all up. Man, they probably stood guard over these doors. They were in absolute terror. What, wouldn't you be? You know, we, we sit back and we say, well, we can see the end of the story, though. We, we see the whole story and say, guys, listen, you don't know what's going to happen here. Wait till you see what's going to happen here. They didn't see it. All they remember was a gruesome crucifixion. The most gruesome an awful way that man has ever devised to put another person to death. That's what they remember. And they felt like, oh boy, we could be next. When he had said this, he said what? He said what? Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, peace be with you. Boy, it couldn't have been any better words than that. And when he had said this, He showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. I like the King James, so send I you. Has a certain ring to it. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now Thomas called the twin, or Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the prints of the nails, and put my finger into the prints of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not Believe. You notice he didn't say, I cannot believe. He said, I will. So what he was doing was he was taking his will and he was pitting it, pitting it against God. Oh, it's a sorrowful place to be caught in. I will not believe. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst of and said, Peace to you. When he said to Thomas, Reach your fingers here, and look at my hands, and reach your hands here, and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to them, My Lord and my God. And that's the first time in all of Scripture you will hear anyone refer to the Lord Jesus Christ as my God. 
Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. That is to be read like a question. So let's read it again. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Chapter 21, I just want to refer to one verse. It says this, and there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. In fear, they gathered probably in that same upper room where there was the Last Supper and where Judas had departed from. And that it could be that same upper room that they gathered. And they bolted the doors. It's very clear in Scripture that they absolutely bolted the doors. These people were terrified. And then it says this. Jesus came and stood in the midst. Now, the language is very clear. He did not go through an unbolted door. He simply appeared right there. As they were gathered around, you can see them all gathered around. The talk is going on. They're already understanding what may have taken place, that the Lord Jesus Christ really did rise from the dead. Remember, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Peter has his own private session with the Lord during that afternoon. Those, those individuals who are on that road to Emmaus, they walk with the Lord. Did not our hearts burn within us as he parted to us the scriptures? They were there as well, it says in Luke. So there's plenty of evidence to, to concur with the fact that this one truly did rise from the dead. Well then, where's the bravado? Why not the courage? They're, they're in this upper room. They're locked in that upper room. And all of a sudden, the Lord Jesus Christ appears in their midst. And Luke tells us that they thought he was a ghost. That's, he's got to be a spirit or something. Peter stands in the garden. In comes the Roman soldiers. Big. Always Big. Got to be big. Can't be a Roman soldier unless you're big. They come in. Uh, probably two or three hundred came in, along with the Sanhedrin and the, and, and the Pharisees and all the Jewish leaders, and they all came up that hill. And, 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 and Peter had a sword. Peter said, why, why does Peter have a sword? Why did Peter have a sword? I think I know why Peter had a sword. Because, you see, what they anticipated was God's plan was so overwhelming in their own minds that even though the Lord Jesus Christ said, I must die, I must raise again from the dead, they just couldn't hear it. What did they believe? 
They believed that with this one called Jesus at our side, we can take on Rome. We can overthrow Rome. We can cast off this bondage that we're so desperately under right now, this bondage from Rome. We have the power to do it. Why did he have that sword? Oh, I think he was waiting for a fight. He was looking possibly for a fight. He had that sword. They had a different plan. How could they get it so messed up? And where, 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 where was all the bravado? Where was, where was all the guts? All that, all that, uh, we'll fight, we'll fight, man. Then the Lord Jesus Christ took the ear of Malchus and he placed it back on his head. In loving grace and kindness, he placed it back on his head and he reprimanded Peter for what he had done. And then he did this. Oh, this, this blew him away. And they led him away. There goes the bravado. I had a friend when I was a kid. His name was Robert McIntyre. He was one tough kid. Nobody played with Robert McIntyre. He was the king of the playground. And I was his right-hand man. So I wasn't very big. I didn't have what Robert McIntyre had, I'll guarantee you that. But I had Robert McIntyre. <laughs> and when I strutted through that playground, ain't nobody played with me, because I was best friends with Robert McIntyre. It's the same thing. The di- disciples saw this man feeding 5,000. He saw him calming nature in the sea when it was just going completely great. Peace be still. He saw him take, take blind men and make them see again. People that were blind from birth, things that had never even happened before. He did things no one ever, with him by our side, we can do anything. And all of a sudden, he was led away. And now we find him upstairs in a bolted room. No more bravado. No more bravado. Fear renders us useless. A little girl turned to Peter and said, I'm pretty sure I saw you. I saw you walking with him. Oh, no, 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 no. Later on, she said, I, I'm pretty sure. I'm, I, I know I saw you. I, I know I saw you. You were, with that, you were with that man, Jesus. I know you were. And with oaths and curses, swore up and down. What happened to the bravado? What causes us fear? Why do we become so paralyzed by fear that we can't move forward? Somehow, we lose the whole concept that, that the Lord Jesus Christ said, I will be with you forever. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Why is it that we, we look into the face of certain individuals and, and we can't even open our mouths for the Lord? I'm guilty. 
guy's a Marine, man. It's hard. Gripped by fear. Where there should be none. There should be none. And there was none here, or shouldn't have been. The Lord Jesus Christ said, Peace be with you. Verse 20 then. So Jesus said to them, Peace to you. As the Father sent me, I also send you. I want you to make make sure that we don't come up with some kind of weird doctrine here. This is where you can get some real weird doctrine. It's a little bit of a difficult uh, 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 saying in the word of God, but it's not really difficult because the Greek word has two cents. The first cent, that is the son being sent by the father, that's with authority. The second cent is under authority. I want you to check me out on that. You want to check me out on that? Go to the Greek. You're going to find out that there's two separate words being used there. So the Lord Jesus Christ is sent with authority. We are sent under authority. Absolute. Makes it very, very clear as to what is being said here. And then he says, I, I think I skipped over verse 20. He showed him his scars. He showed him his scars in his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad. They were ecstatic. The word there in the Greek means they, they were hilariously, they're ecstatic. They, 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 they were convinced then that truly this is the, the son of the living God and that he truly did rise from the dead. They were absolutely ecstatic. But he says, peace be with you, and then he showed the scars. What produces the peace? Ah, the scars do. The, the scars do. It's the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only thing that's going to give you peace in this world. Let me tell you, if you're waiting for the political situation to wring itself out, and, and that man will finally figure out what's going on, and they'll get on the right path, you are going to be waiting in vain. You think it's bad here? Dr. Martin was just telling me about what Canada's all about. We swung liberal. They swang liberal. It's past tense, man. They're there. Don't expect that the, the political situation and that man themselves are ever going to be able to figure this thing out. The only peace you have is the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ died, that he was buried, and on the third day he rose again from the dead. And when you put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you can have peace in the midst of a storm. And there are times when he's going to come in and he's going to calm that storm. Even that little personal storm that you're, you're having right now. He, can, he will reach down and he will calm that storm. You can have peace. Dr. Martin and I concluded, Lord, come quickly. It's a mess down here. There's no question. He showed him his hands, and he showed him his side. Oh. The marks of slaughter were, were all over the Son of the Living God. You see, the marks of slaughter, and 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 and, and I sometimes ask myself. 
where are my scars? Am I going to enter heaven and I'll say, Lord, somewhat unscathed here. I never felt that, Lord. In this world, you shall have tribulation. Whoa, I... Hmm? Where are my scars? I'll tell you, you get out there and, and you really go wholeheartedly for the Lord Jesus Christ and there are going to be scars. Unless we draw back in fear and, and, and we, we take opportunities that the Holy Spirit gives us and we draw back off that, no, what later. Manana, it's always manana, you know. He gives us opportunities. And we're going to get scarred up. There, somebody's going to turn to you and they're, and they're going to say, what right do you have to tell me I'm a sinner? Ooh, that hurts a little, don't it? There's a scar. There's a scar. The songwriter put it this way. Must I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease while others fought to win the prize and sailed through bloody seas? I hope we're not a, a Christian incognito. We're not hiding ourselves around. Oh, oh! I didn't know you were a Christian. Huh. Oh, that, I didn't know you were a Christian. There will be scars. There will be scars. Now, I want you to notice something about the Lord Jesus Christ. He, he comes into their midst. He blows through the locked doors. Why? Because he's got his glorified body. We know from Luke that, 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 that when they examined him, he said, uh, does a spirit have flesh and bone? You see, no longer is he blood drive, he's spirit drive. So here he comes, he, he, he all of a sudden appears in their midst. Uh, does he explain the details of that? In the book of Luke, it actually says that, that he showed them his hands and his side and the whole thing. He says, do you have anything to eat? Oh, yeah, there's some fish and honeycomb. Uh, and he ate that right. In, what, what did he do that for? He wanted to show that this resurrected form that, that we are going to be in is, is touchable. You, you can touch it. You can even eat with it. I don't think we have to eat. We don't have blood anymore. I mean, I think we're spirit dry, but we, we don't have to eat. But the joy of eating might still be there. And so he ate right in front of him. And, and I mean, if you look at that, here's a guy that, that is passing through walls. He, see, where did that stuff go that he ate? No explanation. You see, it, it, it's not on the basis of our intellect that, that he engages us. It's on the basis of faith that he engages us. What was he concerned about? Was he concerned about explaining the scientific benefits of being in the new body, in the new form, in the risen form? 
It wasn't even a concern on his mind. Peace be with you. Verse 21. So Jesus said to them again, peace to you. And then we get into the sense. He sends. He sends. He sent the Son with authority. He sent us under authority. And he said, the way that I was sent by my Father, that is the way that I am going to send you. I was sent with authority. You are sent under authority. But that same way is the way I'm going to send you. Who bears him witness? I I love this all the time. When you hear these people, they stomp around and they tell you, I have the gift of miracles. Nobody's getting any benefit from it because they all don't have the faith. Okay, but I have the gift of miracles. See, they become self-promoting. I have the gift of this, or I have the gift of that. I have the gift of that. And they become self-promoting. Who promoted the Son? God the Father. The Father bears witness, it says, of the Son. So there's, there's clue number one. You're sent the same way. Don't be a self-promoter. Don't come in there and say, oh man, I'm, I, you know, you, you need to, I have apostolic authority and don't question my word. <laughs> no, no, no. What I say goes here. No. That's not the way it works, is it? Wisdom is justified of her children. Then it says, he came as a servant. We get that from Philippians chapter 2. Verse 5 through 8, when he emptied himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. That is the highest calling. Well, I'm going to school to become pastor of church. No, no, if you're really reading the same Bible I'm reading, then you're going to school to become a servant of the church. It may take that form of pastoral, but you're at best a servant. The Lord Jesus Christ did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Listen, when when they stripped him completely down of all his clothes, that's what they do with the Roman crucifixion, by the way, and they hung him upon a cross, do you think that that glorified him and everybody walked by, oh boy, that's really something I'd like to do. No. He didn't come to be served. He came to serve. And to give his life a ransom for many. He emptied himself. We're to empty ourselves. You want to be sent of God? You want to do God's work? Then you get empty. That, 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 that's going to kill you. I, I tell you, that's, that's a stumbling block right there. We have a hard time... Emptying out. But we know that what the, what the God Father really wants is to completely fill us with himself. That means all that other trash got to get out of the way. We get all the other trash out of the way. It gives room for what really counts and makes you a real scent of God. I have just as much trouble with it as you do. Don't think I stand up here as some sort of pious know-it-all and do it all because I have just as much trouble as anyone in here. That old natural man 
comes creeping in and I get a nasty attitude and you can ask my wife and things aren't really what they should be and all that because I'm not completely emptied. It's a process, isn't it? Then verse 22. Um, and verse 22 is difficult. <clears throat> and I'm, I'm going to wait to, to come up with a real answer because the groups tonight, these groups tonight, they're going to get together and they're going to tell me, they're going to give me an answer on this. I can't wait. I really can't wait because this is a tough one. <laughs> this one I struggled with. And I still don't really have an answer. Verse 22 says this. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Now, I I want you to go just really quickly to John chapter 7 and verse 39. Here's where the problem comes in. John chapter 7 and verse 39 says, But this he spoke concerning the Spirit... He just, he just gave them the Spirit. They received the Spirit, or we think they received the Spirit. I'll hold off for tonight. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Uh-oh. When was he glorified? When he was ascended off of this earth and went back to God the Father. So, then what is this giving of the Holy Spirit? Well, some would say it's symbolic. It's just symbolic language, and it points towards Acts chapter 2, verse 1, 2, and 3. It points towards that event, okay? I have a hard time with that. I have a real hard time with that, because this is what it says. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Now, did they receive it? It doesn't say they did. Now, I'm going to go this route. I'm just going to give you a few factors. First of all, this this advent of the Pentecost, when they received the Spirit, they were saved, and then they received the Spirit. I want you to realize what that's all about. Sometimes we get this convoluted idea that they receive the Spirit of God in order that they might speak in tongues, do miracles, and all kinds of manifestations involved. That is false. That was never the intention of the receiving of the Holy Spirit. Go, if you will, to Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. We're going to, we're going to get the real facts on this. It says this, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you so that you can speak in tongues and do miracles and wow the people. Does it say that? doesn't say that in my Bible. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost to the ends of the earth. So the idea of the giving of the Holy Spirit was to empower us, to give us, us the, the empowerment to be able to go out and be a witness to this world. It is not to speak in tongues. and Those are manifestations to prove that those individuals did receive the Holy Spirit of God. You've got to get that straight. 
or you get all messed up in your theology and you, you start emphasizing what doesn't need to be emphasized and de-emphasizing what needs to be emphasized. You get the whole thing all messed up. But there's still a problem in this passage. It says also in Luke chapter 24, let's go there just for a second, Luke chapter 24. And verse number 46, then said, then he said to them, thus it is written and thus it is necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. That was their commission. Now I want, I want to. I just want. I just want to make this very, very clear. This, this, this is this is fact here. We can, we can, we can live on this fact for a little while. When they come back eight days later. By the way, eight days later would be Sunday night again. That's by Jewish calendar. It would be Sunday night again. And so they were at, they were at Sunday night. They had gathered in the upper room, bolted the doors. When they came back eight days later, guess what they did? Well, they, they, they let the doors open and they were holding meetings and they were witnessing and they were, oh boy, what? No, they bolted the doors again. Now, if the Holy Spirit is there to give them power and unction to witness, give forth the word of God, to give forth the gospel of Lord Jesus Christ, why didn't they do it? John chapter 21. Peter says, I go fishing. I'm, I'm going back fishing. Well, don't, don't blame him too bad. The rest of the disciples said, sounds good to me. Pick up their nets, go back fishing. Where was the witness? I believe in my mind that this is a true intake of the Holy Spirit without a true commission. He hadn't sent them yet. He hadn't commissioned it yet. It, it, it hadn't come. There was a time and a place for all things under the sun. And that would have been Acts chapter 2. I believe that was later on. I cannot put my finger on exactly what took place here. What took place? I don't know. I leave it to the groups. But they didn't become powerful witnesses. That I know. They were still calling up in fear. There were still big problems. And so they did not witness. Eight days later, Sunday night again, I got to move really, really quickly. Here comes Thomas. Thomas the twin. Thomas the twin, I don't know why. He's always said to be Thomas the twin. Thomas the twin, Thomas the twin. Every time you see him, his name is Thomas the twin. Why? Because I think that maybe his skeptical behavior is a lot like us. Maybe we're his twin. That, that's the way I feel sometimes. You know, I, I, I can be very skeptical. I mean, it, there's people that came out of deep skepticism before they were saved. They said, no way. <laughs> Not me, buddy. I run my own show. I, I steer my own boat. Don't come along with that stuff. I'll have none of it. The same skeptical version is Thomas. Thomas said, unless I see the print in his name, I, here's a, look, look out for that second word, I will not believe. 
You see? So Thomas was pitting his will against God's will is what he was doing. The amazing thing, the thing that blows my mind is that the, the risen son of the living God didn't smite him dead right there. In comes the Lord again. I think the disciples set him up for it. They said, come on, come on, Thomas. Come on over here. Well, they locked the door, so they locked them all up again. Here comes the Lord standing again. What does he say to Thomas? Thomas, you skeptic, you rebel, get out of here. Unbolt the doors and let him out. He says, here's the prince, Thomas. Thrust your hand into my side. That side wound must have been deep. We weren't plastic surgeons back then. It was a deep hole. You want it, Thomas? You got it. What grace? What grace? Why didn't he walk in the first time and say, you knuckleheads, I told you you'd all run. I told you you'd all turn high tail and run away. The instant I got into problems, you're out of here, every one of you. Don't blame Peter. You all did the same thing. Where were you? My deepest need. I was standing here, my deepest need, and you all abandoned me. Where were you? What does he say? The same grace that I need. The same grace that I need. Peace. Matthew tells us the Lord Jesus Christ said, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel, making disciples. He fell hard, but he fell deep. Thomas was never the same man. He made that assertion. My Lord and my God. None of the others had said that. I'll tell you when he fell. He fell deep. And he would never be the same man again. History has it that he was taken off. He said, go ye into all the world, all the world. Go as far as you can. Thomas said, you said it. I do it. That's it. He goes to India. Probably the farthest ranged out individual amongst that group that there was. It was Thomas who decided to go all the way to India and proclaim the gospel. Now, we don't know for sure. It doesn't say that in Scripture. I understand. That's history. But there's a lot of evidence to prove that Thomas did go to India. And he ended up being martyred in India like the others were martyred except for the writer of our book today. There was no half-heartedness. There was no, I'm on the wagon, I'm off the wagon, I'm on the wagon, I'm off the wagon, I'm on, I feel good today, I don't feel good. It was all in. After they recognized who the Lord Jesus Christ was, and after they were filled with the Holy Ghost, with the Holy Spirit of God, they were all in. There was no wavering. There's no wavering from Thomas. You think Mary Magdalene ever said, well, I'm kind of tired of that now. They were all martyred. I don't doubt that Mary Magdalene was probably martyred. Doesn't say that, but they all paid a dear price. They all stood before the Savior with their own set of scars, didn't they? 
That's what he commissions us to do. Oh, the disciples, I, I got to quit here, I know. The disciples, they would have been so glad at, at the point of this scripture to simply sit in that upper room and have the Savior there, and he would provide for them meals, and they keep the doors locked, provide for them meals, and, and they just sit in fellowship and enjoy. And the Lord Jesus Christ said, Go. Go. Get out of here. It's going to cost you, but you go. And they went. We need to go. Whatever realm of life we're placed in, whatever sphere of life we're placed in, he doesn't, he doesn't make us all uh, Thomases and, and all Billy Grahams. He makes us who we are. But in the sphere of life, he still has that same message. He still has that same commission. Go. Be a witness. Be my voice. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, your personal Savior, then you need to read over and over and over the, the meaning and the, and the reason for this book. It is written so that you might know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that believing you might have life in his name. Let's pray. Our God and our Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for the scriptures. We're so thankful for the word of God. It makes things so clear. Why is it so hard sometimes to obey? Father, help us. Help my unbelief at times, my doubting, like Thomas doubted. Help me, my Father. Give us the Holy Spirit of God to the point where we recognize just how powerful a being is in us that we come forth and we say what needs to be said or do what we need to be doing. Our Father, give us, give us the power of the Spirit to do it. We give you thanks, our Father, for the Word of God. It is sharp. There's no question. It is sharp. It cuts. Help us now, we pray, as we part. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.